Amen. Thank you for that song tonight. If you've got your Bibles with you, I hope you do. If you don't, you should have one in the pew in front of you. And if you ain't got one there, just run to the back real quick. You can find some on the table out back. And uh, get you a Bible tonight and be finding Genesis chapter number 9. And uh, when you find your place, uh, let's stand all over God's house tonight. And... Uh, We'll see, uh, we'll read his word and see what we can get into this morning. I uh, preached on, or preached there out of Genesis 6 on how Noah lived right in a world gone wrong. And uh, Lord willing, tonight, like I mentioned to you this morning, I'm going to preach on how Noah lived wrong in a world gone right. And so we're going to flip the message from this morning around and look at a different thought. And this one not so. This one doesn't get preached as often as the first one, at uh, Genesis six there, and Ed. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll see what we've got here tonight. Look in Genesis chapter nine. I'm going to take the message out of after uh, out of these uh, few verses. If you'll look in verse number twenty in Genesis chapter nine, the Bible says, "And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard." He drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this evening. And uh, I mentioned that I preached out of chapter 6 this morning on how Noah lived right in a world gone wrong. And uh, I'll be honest, I wish we could stop with the message this morning and uh, not had anything else much to stay there. But unfortunately, the story did not end there. One would like to leave out this section in Genesis 9, which deals with the fall of Noah. Now, if uh, uh, throughout the generation, uh, generational record of Noah, he conducted himself with excellence. In spite of the wicked times in which he lived, he walked a holy life in complete obedience to the Lord regarding the ark and the flood. And the Bible tells us in Second Peter that he was a preacher of righteousness, as I mentioned in the message this morning. Now the scripture reports Noah's fall into drunkenness. Now, truly, the Bible does not whitewash our heroes, but it gives a true picture of their lives. And, you know, when you think about that, any other book would not be so honest, would it? If it was a history book, they'd probably take some things out. And, oh, well, they don't need to remember that part. And uh, we were at lunch today, and we were talking uh, to, to one of Nicole's old friends. and or Well, she's still a good friend, but they were talking about something that happened back in, in high school. And, and uh, her friend brought it up. Nicole said, well, I don't remember that ever happening. 
And, uh, and uh, she said, yeah, nobody remembers it. And I looked at her and I said, that might be a good thing. You could, you could really, uh, uh, you know, use that to your advantage that nobody remembers that. And, you know, if we were writing a book, if we were writing a history or we, we were writing a biography, we may be tempted to leave out the lesser known or the not as how can I put it, not as pretty uh, uh, facts throughout history, but the Bible's not like that. No other book would, have, uh, would, would take you to the highs of someone's life and also show you the lows of someone's life. And we need to take heed to that because here's what it tells us. The different heroes that we have throughout the Bible are people just like us. We tend to have this complex that they are superhuman or superheroes, but they're not. God uses plain, normal, everyday people all throughout the Word. And He still uses plain, old, ordinary, everyday people today. You know why He does that? Because that's all He's got to use. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> What's so amazing about this text is the timing in which it happened. Now, Noah lived for God in a time when the world was at its worst. We talked about that this morning. But then Noah failed God at a time when the world was at its best. Now you think about that. Uh, if we if we were to go through the pages of Genesis from chapter 6 to here, we would find that <clears throat> that it, or chapter yeah chapter six we we would find that he uh, did everything according to what God commanded him he did it all perfectly uh, he followed all of the instructions and then uh, there was a promise made to him and then he got into the ark God saved him we see the flood happen we see the waters prevail God brings Noah and his family to safety when the waters recede and the ark rested on on the mount there and I talked about that this morning and uh, we see all. All of that happened. We see Noah get out of the ark. We see that he makes a sacrifice. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, the first thing he did when he entered out on dry land was made a sacrifice. And God turned around and gave him another promise. And then God blesses Noah at the beginning of chapter number 9. And then God makes another covenant with Noah in chapter number 9. And then God gives us the rainbow here. And then right after all of this, is when Noah falls. So Adam showed us there in the first part of Genesis, Adam shows us that a man will still sin in spite of his environment. Why? Because man is a sinner and that's what sinners do. We have all of these programs and things going in our day with the prison systems and everything else where they are trying to reform people. But the fact of the matter is, until the heart is fixed, man is a sinner. And even after that, his old flesh still wants to partake in those old carnal and lustful desires. But hey, let me tell you, we are not sinners because we sin we sin because we're sinners. That sounds pretty simple, but that is a profound truth we all need to understand. 
I know that the curse was still upon the earth, but notice that two times in the first nine chapters of the Word of God, man blew his opportunity to live right in a perfect world. Let me give you some similarities between Adam and Noah. Both of them were placed on earth out of the deep. Both of them were made Lord over creation. Both of them had three sons. Both of them were given the commandment to multiply. Both of them were placed in a garden. And both of them fell while in the garden. Both of them fell as a result of fruit. Both falls resulted with an exposure of nakedness. And both falls are followed by a curse. Isn't that interesting? If I could have predicted a time in which Noah would have disappointed God, it would have been back in chapter number 6 where I preached this morning and not here in chapter number 9. I mentioned this morning that Noah would have faced an incredible amount of pressure to just go with what everybody else was doing. He didn't have a church to support him. He didn't have a Bible to read. He didn't have brethren to lean on for support. But yet he did the right thing. And he trusted God. Yes, I would have expected something back then, but not now. Not after God had delivered him and his family. Not after God kept him safe from the flood. And you know what this tells you and I tonight? It tells us that we can never predict what this old flesh is going to do. Go ahead and say amen. You can't be trusted. I can't be trusted. I'm just telling you the truth. I ain't better than nobody. I ain't better than any other preacher. I've seen preachers far better than I am fall. Yeah. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's exempt. That's why the Bible tells us not to lean on our own understanding. That's why the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked. And we can't know them. You know, if we just practice what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to do, we'd just be better off. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. I said it this morning when I was talking about that window. Too many of us are trying to grab hold of a steering wheel and steer our lives when what we need to do is stand in the middle of the ark and just look up through that window. Because God's got it all in control. God's got it all. He's taking care of business. We just need to trust Him. So I got to looking at this and I thought, why did this happen to Noah? How could a man who had been so faithful suddenly fall? And so I'm going to answer those questions tonight on how Noah lived wrong in a world gone right. I want you to notice number one, we find in number uh, uh, chapter number nine, verse number 20, we find number one, he was distracted. He was distracted. The Bible says, and Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard. Up until this point, we read pretty often of, uh, of communication happening between uh, God and Noah and Noah giving thanks to God, but not so much anymore. The first thing Noah had done upon reaching dry ground back in chapter number 8 was to build an altar and to sanctify the new earth by offering up one of every clean beast and fowl in a great burnt offering. Now, but here's the thing. We don't find 
find him building an altar anywhere in this passage. And instead, we find him planting a vineyard. He began to be a husbandman. Now that word husbandman simply means man of the ground or tiller of the ground. And Noah's new career, I want to make sure everybody understands, was not evil in and of itself. There's nothing wrong in the work that Noah was doing. It was not the pursuing of his career that caused his sin, but it was the perverting of his career that caused him to sin. Many good things and many good blessings can cause you to fail if you pervert the use of them. Amen? You can turn anything into an idol. You can take anything in your life and put it before God. You can take a husband and put him before God. You can take a wife and put her before God. You can put your children before God. Hey, Abraham did that one. Everybody remember that? You can take your work and put it before God. Hey, there's been men down through the years that took, y'all get a hold of this, they took the ministry and put it before God. That's how deceptive we can be. That's how, decept, that's how prone to deception that we can be. I know many of men that have lost their family because they put their ministry first. But honey, let me tell you something. The first ministry God gave us was the family. And I'm here to tell you this tonight. If I lose my wife, the ministry's gone. If I lose my family, the ministry's gone. So you know what I better do? I better take care of my family. And get the order right. Amen. Marriage is the same way. Hey, husband and wife, you want to grow together? You want to get closer to each other? Then both of you get closer to God. Yeah. Put the things in order. Put the priorities in order. But everything that we have, no matter how good it may be, can become sin if we allow it. Now... There's no mention of him walking with God in this passage. There's no mention of him worshiping God in this passage. There's no mention of him working for God in this passage. Why? Because he got distracted. His focus on atonement and seeking God's favor that we talked about this morning shifted to a new era of cultivation, growth, and abundance. And hey, if we're not help, if we're not, if we're not careful tonight, the exact same thing can happen to you and I. You can get your focus on anything and put it before God. And when you do, you'll become distracted. So what was the next thing? Number two this evening. Not only was he distracted, but he was drunk. Look at verse 21. So he goes, he gets this new career. He decides he's going to be a husbandman. He's tilling the ground. He creates some vines. He makes some wine and he gets drunk. It says, and he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, this is the first mention of wine in the Bible. And it's associated with what? Sin, shame, and a curse. And it carries this basic meaning throughout the rest of Scripture in most cases. It's also the first example here of drunkenness in the Bible. You know, Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. 
If you look in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 and on, the Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine... They that go to seek mixed wine, look thou, look, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. That's what the Bible says. Noah's sin began with just one drink here. And sin always starts with just one step down, don't it? Satan would tempt us by insisting that doing it just once would not hurt anything, but that is a lie for doing it once is what gets it started. And without doing it once, you'll never get started on the downward path of sin. That's what we need a little bit more. Hey, we've spent too much time uh, telling our children, oh, well, they just need to go sow some wild oats. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure my kids don't sow any wild oats because the Bible tells me that they reap what we sow. That's one of them things I hear people say just makes me want to throw up. I'm like, do you not understand what you're saying? Hey, it only hey, you know how an oh, I'm just telling you, you know how a person becomes an alcoholic? One drink. It all starts with just one. I've never found an alcoholic that never drank a drop. Have you? I know that's elementary. That makes sense, though. That's just good old common low gap common sense right there. You don't ever start something, you ain't got to worry about it. You don't have to. You might say, well, preacher, that's just taking it too far. Hey, I'm just telling you what I feel. I'm just telling you what I believe. I've always been a person that was cautious. I've been made fun of my whole life for that. But that's okay. I never got into half of the junk my friends did. I never got in half of the junk half my adult friends got into. Anyways. But see, that's where the devil gets us. It's just one. It's okay. Here's where he's at today. Well, hey, as long as you don't get drunk, it's okay, right? I take a position of abstinence, by the way. Because as I just said, if you never start, you never have to worry about it. Because let's just face it, how much does it take to get drunk? I don't have a clue. Some people think they do. Oh, me, I'm digging a hole right now. It's all right, though. It's all right. I heard a man, I heard a man, uh, I heard a man one day give a reason. He said, well, he said, the fact of the matter is, he said, uh, I might can tolerate it, but my 14-year-old might not. If I got it in my house and they turn around and he said, maybe, maybe I know exactly what I need to be able to be tolerant. And I don't, I know exactly where I need to stop before I get drunk. But hey, let me, he said this from, he said, but here's the thing. My kid don't. And all it takes is one. It makes sense. How'd Noah get away? And by the way, that preacher wasn't advocating even having it. 
he was making a hypothetical situation because people give you all sorts of excuse to prop up their sin that they love so much. And so, man, I done got off track and I don't know where I was. I'm, I'm picking. So how'd Noah get in this situation? Well, it all started with one. He was distracted, apparently. Remember that? And to drink enough wine to get drunk, Noah had to give priority to the appetites of his flesh. You don't get drunk with one sip. I'll agree with that. Wouldn't you all agree with that? You don't get drunk with one sip. But here's the problem. Noah didn't stop with one sip. He obviously really liked it. Right? And so he gave priority to the appetite of his flesh. Noah permitted his fleshly appetites to control his conduct. You know what that's going to do? It don't matter what we're talking about. If you allow that to happen, it always leads to trouble. You cannot live your life fulfilling the appetites and the lust of the flesh. You can't. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Amen. And you know, many people today, I know we're talking about wine right here and we're talking about getting drunk, but hey, there's many things that you can get drunk off of in our society. Yeah. They're consumed with the things of this world. Some people are consumed with wine. Others are consumed with wealth. Others are consumed with women. Some are consumed with wishes. Some are consumed with worldliness. Some are consumed with wickedness. And it's all sin right out of hell. They seem consumed. People seem consumed with everything around them except the very thing that they should be consumed with. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And by the way, alcohol is a depressant. It's always just blew my mind. You know when an alcoholic wants to drink the most is when they're depressed. But the alcohol actually causes the depression. Satan knows how to throw those vices around, don't he? Alcohol loosens people because it depresses their self-control. It depresses their wisdom. It depresses their balance. It depresses their judgment. And we'll see that with Noah in just a minute. But the feeling of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 is the complete opposite. It has the exact opposite effect. The Spirit within our lives is a stimulant. And the Holy Ghost influences every aspect of our being to better and more perfect performance. You want to be sober? Be filled with the Spirit. You want to be vigilant? Be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You want to worship God? You need to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to read the Bible and understand it? Be filled with the Spirit. You want to live right and act right and do right? Then be filled with the Spirit. And so, we see here that he was distracted. He was drunk. And then thirdly, we find that he was disgraced. 
We're talking about what happened to Noah. How did he live wrong in a world gone right? Number three, he was disgraced. Look in verse 21. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brethren without, and Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. When Noah was drunk, he uncovered himself. Now that word uncovered actually indicates a deliberate act, not an unconscious effect of drunkenness. Noah deliberately uncovered himself. Drunkenness and nakedness usually go hand in hand together. You all know that? Noah let his guard down and Satan took advantage of the situation. When wine ferments, it decays, it leavens, or it breaks down. And y'all, I'm here to tell you, that's exactly what happened to Noah. Noah broke down physically. He broke down morally. And he broke down uh, spiritually. I tell you something else. Uh, Drunkenness will lead to sensuality. Doesn't just lead to nakedness, it leads to sensuality. You think about Lot over there in Genesis chapter 19, verse 33. Both of his daughters got him drunk and wound up pregnant by him, and he didn't even remember any of it. Yeah. <sighs> over in Esther chapter 1, we read about King Ahazur. Ahaz- I can't say it. Ahazurus. Somebody. If y'all can do that better, y'all let me know. I don't. I, that's probably not the right way to say it. Ahasuerus, he was drunk and wanted to put his wife on display for the entire kingdom to see. And when she refused it, she wound up banished from the kingdom. Why? Because he was drunk and he didn't know what he was doing. What about Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5? We read that he threw a massive party where he and his friends got drunk and they were drinking out of the golden vessels that belonged in the temple of the house of God. That night a hand appeared and wrote on the wall telling the king that he had been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And that very night he was slain and the kingdom was taken over. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to being drunk, you don't know what you're doing. But let me go ahead and tell you, ignorance has never been an excuse with God. It's never been an excuse. You know why ignorance is not an excuse with God? It's right here. Hey, He did His part. He gave us His Word. It's up to us to know it. Here's what I'm trying to get to. Drunkenness tonight brings disgrace. And just like Brother Josh said the other night, you can cut that pie however you want, but the end result's always the same. Yeah. The Bible tells us that Noah was uncovered within his tent, and Ham comes along and finds his father in a naked, drunken condition. Now, for Saul here, means to gaze at with great satisfaction. Ham told his brothers... And the word foretold here indicates that he told them with delight. And so what 
What we get from that is it seems that Ham has a rebellious attitude against his father and against his father's authority. And at last he found fault or weakness with his father and he wanted everybody to know about it. And Shem and Japheth, they covered their father and saw not his neck. The Bible says. And there's a lot of speculation surrounding what exactly happened here because here in the Western world, with our Western eyes and our Western ideologies, we just can't. We're, we're like, okay, so he saw his dad naked and he was cursed because of it? Surely there had to be more than that involved. And so I've heard preachers make all sorts of assumptions about this passage. I read several assumptions in studying for this, but I'm not making assumptions tonight. I'm going to give you what the Bible says. And that's all we know. That's all we know. I believe he literally just saw his father naked. And maybe in the Western world, that ain't too much of a big deal. I think it ought to be a big deal. Amen? But when you study the culture of that day and the, uh, the ancient, to the ancient seeing the father's nakedness was a break of family ethic. The sanctity of the family was destroyed and the strength of the father was made a mockery. It was a great dishonor to see your father naked. Now, Egyptians, they had a different attitude. They're kind of like the world today. Why? Because, as always, anytime you find Egypt in the Bible, it's a depiction of the world. Now, Egypt, Egyptians, they had a different attitude because nudity was commonplace in their dress styles, kind of like it is today. So I can only say that Ham's sin was exactly what the Bible says in that he saw his father's nakedness. I believe that's supported by not only what you can dig up in culture about how that was such a big deal, but then I also believe that it's supported because the two other brothers, as they took such great precaution to approach their father backwards to cover him so as not to look upon him. So the other two brothers, after Ham comes and tells them, they get a uh, they get a blanket or they get something to cover him. They put it on their shoulders. They walk backwards with their heads turned away from him. That supports what I told you about the culture of that day. I think a lot of people really pull for strings. I've heard people talk all sorts of stuff about what happened right here. I just don't see it because I'm just reading the Bible. And I'm not even going to go into what some people say because it's just not appropriate for a mixed audience. I just want to give you what the Bible says. So here's what I'll say. That's what I believe. But whatever Ham did, you know what happened? It resulted in a curse upon his sons. An entire generation there. And we see all of this And I really want to look for like some kind of silver lining here and some kind of happy ending to the story, but we don't have one. Noah walked with God for 600 years. Verse 28 tells us that he lived another 350 years. 
He lived 950 years. And the tragedy is that the Bible never mentions anything about these last 350 years. We don't know if he did anything for God. I don't know what he did. The final testimony of his life is recorded. The last testimony of his life that is recorded is what we read in our text tonight. And y'all, that is not what I would want the final chapter of my life to read. I believe Noah was saved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? But he fell. And he fell in a perfect environment. God had just hit the reset button. Everything had started over. He was given an opportunity like Adam. Not necessarily exactly like Adam, but I showed you the similarities in the two. And yet he failed. And if there's anything that I get out of this in my personal life is that no matter what you do, you cannot trust your flesh. You can't. So what do we do? Preacher, surely you're not going to leave this just like this. No, I'm not. Here's what we do. There's an old quote that fits this perfectly tonight. You know what it is? It says this, only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Amen? Let me give you a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 27, here's what Paul wrote there under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know what we better do tonight? We better watch out. It all starts by getting distracted. It all starts by getting distracted. I told you this morning when Noah was in that ark and the seas were raging around him and the water was filling up and the, the clouds no doubt were there and the rain was pouring down and it was storming, no doubt thunder and lightning and everything going on. He couldn't see out the front. He couldn't see out the back. He couldn't see out the sides. All he could do was look up. And I'm going to tell you something. The only way that we can live right in a world gone wrong is by looking up. If we don't watch out, if we don't keep looking up, we're going to have a fall. Yeah. The Word of God tells us repeatedly to be sober, to be watchful, to be vigilant. And y'all, God means what He says. And it's repeated so much throughout the Bible we better pay attention to it. If we don't, we're going to wind up like many before us. Yeah. Learn from the mistakes of others. That's a wise man indeed right there. Let's stand by our heads, close our eyes. Miss Stone, come play for us.